Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.Dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode brought to you by Storyblock. Build anything and publish everywhere. What up, peeps? Hello, hello. Uh, we decided seconds before the show started that this is actually just my show now. So I'll start the introduction. Howdy, howdy. Welcome to Semantics. Definitely the stream it is. It's purple and it's accessibility. It couldn't be any other stream. <laughs> this is fantastic. I knew it Ben was going to do that. That's some hilarious. antics crossover takeover episode. Yeah, there's definitely antics happening. So I'll <laughs> give you that much. <laughs> so for everyone who didn't just come completely confused this is perfect.dev but ben is joining us um who also has a podcast called semantics should i you, say some antics some antics. So i always have to break it up like some pause. antics mainly well <laughs> mainly because i i'm responsible for writing the captions for my own stream and if i don't break it up then every time either it will say semantics like html or it'll say samantha and I'm sure Samantha's wonderful, but she has no part on my stream. Oh, that's hilarious. What do I, you use for your captions? Do you so I use Descript, okay. uh, which um, I, I feel like anytime you like go on Twitter and you're like, hey, what should I do for captions? Someone's like, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Descript? And Descript <laughs> is wonderful. But the problem with it is when you're captioning an hour's worth of content every week, it's still way too much, right? Yeah. Descript is like the sweet spot for me would be like if I were to like start publishing like eight minute videos or whatever, like then Descript all the way. But like an hour every week, fam, it's exhausting. But for those who don't know, Descript is like a it's AI text or like speech recognition that like is supposed to generate a transcript for you and you can assign like speakers to all the different parts. Uh, parts of the, the transcript, then you can like export it into any medium you like, like subtitle files and stuff like that. So um, yeah. that's what I've been using. But man, is it draining every week? We do mm. FYI Fridays at work and they shoot for 30 seconds. And those are great in Descript because those Ooh, are like, yes, it's like just three paragraphs or not even three paragraphs. So awesome. this is something that I, I think that folks who don't do um, content creation don't necessarily know. Which is that, like, captioning, if, if, that's so, if that's something that you're committed to, even with tools like Descript, it takes so long. Um, for me, I found that the for the amount of polish I like, it takes me seven times longer than the content itself to have the captions already. Yeah. So if I do an hour stream, I'm also committing to, like, at least seven hours of captioning in a week. And that adds up, right? We have, we have possibly a solution for you that we've uh, been demoing just recently it's called contenda and i i really am excited about it okay we'll see we can we can talk after I'll yeah. show you we'll, we'll, we'll we'll talk when you know we're not just using this stream to talk shop when yeah. we're yeah <laughs> when we're supposed to be talking about accessibility today that's why we have yeah. ben on who is an expert in accessibility do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into all of this Sure. So, hi, howdy. Um, I'm Ben Myers. I, uh, for my day job, I'm a software developer at Microsoft. I work on Microsoft's documentation platform. So, if you've ever been to docs.microsoft.com, uh, chances are possible I've had a hand in something you've seen there. Um, so, I am uh, an accessibility advocate. Uh, I've been doing accessibility basically as long as I've been doing web development. Um, 
I blog about accessibility over at benmyers.dev, and I have my own stream, as has been alluded to a couple times here, called Some Antics, twitch.tv slash someanticsdev, um, where every week I bring on guests from around web development and web design to teach me something about building great user experiences for the web in a hands-on way with a focus on accessibility and or core web technologies. Alex and Brittany, do I need any more caffeine? You did not have that memorized at all. Like You have said that so many times that it is just like... It yeah. just flows out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had to recite that like so much. I yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you got to have that elevator pitch, but then it gets to the point where you can say it in like one or two breaths. Um, but yeah, so that's <laughs> what I do. I, I'm an accessibility advocate. I love teaching people about accessibility. I love making a uh, website more accessible to our users. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super excited to be here to be chatting about accessibility. Um, as well as my hostile takeover of the show. Um, <laughs> it's not so hostile. It's been very nice. Yeah. It was a very friendly ransom note. <laughs> um, it said, please. When, when we talk about accessibility a lot, you often yeah. hear the uh, term ally. Do you want to give the folks the easy breakdown of sure. what that stands for? So, um, yeah. So this is, this is a difficult thing to talk about out loud. Uh, which is this um, abbreviation for accessibility, which is spelled A-1-1-Y. Um, some people will pronounce it ally, as um, Alex has done. Um, I tend to say ally most of the time, personally. Um, some folks will just say accessibility. Some will say A-1-1-Y. Some will say A-11-Y. This is a numeronym, which is a kind of uh, abbreviation that's built from a word. So there's you just blew my mind that you knew what that was called. It's a numeronym. Yeah. There, uh, so there are 11 letters in the word accessibility between the A and the Y. So it's A, 11 letters, Y. A, 11, Y. Or Ally. Oh, it I just happens to... Yeah. I forgot. It's so good. Um, numeronym. So this is... Uh, this, so numeronyms are especially popular thanks to Twitter, especially because Twitter used to only allow 140 characters for tweets. And so if you wanted to talk about accessibility, if you were going to use that word over and over again, right, like it was going to eat up a lot of your character limit very quickly. And so Twitter especially is kind of where Ally, um, Ally, A11Y, whatever you want to call it, however you want to pronounce it, that's kind of where it got big. Um but yeah, there's other numeronyms. You've almost definitely seen I18N, which is internationalization. Same yep. trick. There's 18 letters between the I and the N, um, et cetera. So uh, there's also Lion, L10N, which is localization. Um, there's not, you, no way. Sorry, not to be confused with leak code or leet speak. Right. 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 Like, yeah. They uh, look similar, but they're not the same. Yes. Um, but for accessibility, uh, it has this lovely effect of looking like the word ally. And so that uh, I think has led to the A11Y numeronym sticking in people's brains much more. Um, so yes. Um, yeah, that's that's what uh, accessibility is. Or I, I guess not what accessibility, that's what that numeronym is. Uh, is It's short for accessibility because it's the number of letters you took out. <laughs> Thank you, Twitter. That, that is a new thing for me. I never knew that's what it was called. Uh, we, we were talking about like PHP the other day, and I can't remember that one either, but that's not uh, acronym either. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is a recursive acronym at this point, right? Because like the first P in PHP stands for PHP, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's it's pre. What? Pre processed <laughs> yeah. hyper. I'm, I'm so sorry, Brittany. <laughs> this is what you've been brought into. Oh, yeah. Cool. 
I mean, we have to get all the acronyms out before we can talk about accessibility, right? I mean, yeah, maybe. As a small yeah, team. You got to clear up the jargon and also to call out like, you know, a practical reason to know this acronym is that if you're on Twitter, for instance, a lot of accessibility content like references and stuff like that can be found at hashtag A11Y. So if you're looking for where are the accessibility practitioners on Twitter, they're in A11Y. Q, someone going, but is the A11Y acronym accessible? I think it's inaccessible. Like this is immediately the dude bro that pops up like the reply guy that uh, pops up it's like oh the a11y isn't accessible (laughs) i was wondering if it was so when i did our tweet out for this podcast i was like i'm gonna spell out accessibility because i think a11y would sound weird coming out of a screen reader right this is an interesting take right um first of all yeah it is clunky anytime you stick letters inside words cough cough white panther uh we love you, Selma, but um, you, like this, this is something that screen readers are going to choke on. You know, um, I haven't actually personally tested a screen reader against the name White Panther, for instance, but I'm sure it would be something more like WTEP 4 3 r which is not very easy to understand. But uh, this actually gets to an interesting point, which is that uh, sometimes when we're doing like when we're practicing accessibility, when we're building more accessible sites, um, we overcompensate um, and, and we, we, we figure like, oh, something must be a huge problem. Let me try to, you know, maybe I'll add in some like hidden text or whatever, or I'll add in like a pronunciation note and I'll do some like weird, like aria finagling and stuff like that. We can actually make the experience worse for other people too. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you have a, a node that says like uh, White Panther, and that's the visual label, and you replace it with like an accessible like screen reader uh, text that's like, you know, a pronunciation of White Panther, like the phonetic spelling or something like that. Now you have this problem of, well, if someone's using a screen reader with a Braille device, a refreshable Braille display, it's called, which is a like peripheral that like has Braille dots that raise or lower. Well, the text that gets exposed to the Braille display is now your phonetic spelling, not the original words. Okay. And so you were trying, like, the, you, you swung the pendulum too far, right? Uh, and this is kind of an interesting thing of, like, you know, uh, screen reader users are innately familiar with the quirks of their screen readers. They use them day in, day out. They yeah. know how they work. And so they know how, like, if a word is confusing to them, they know how to go back to that word and check it out letter by letter to see what it means, right? We don't have to, like, be overbearing necessarily and, like, overcorrect. We, we, we can do a few things here and there. It's probably still better to avoid leet speak overall if you can help it. But like you don't need to overcorrect. It's like um, uh, if you're driving with a GPS and the GPS mispronounces the name of a street, you don't go, oh, I don't know what street this is. You, you move on with your day and you drive down and you go, that was a bit funny, right? Yeah, you, is- kind of, you kind of like try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have so, to, yeah. before before we get yeah. too far off of like the the thing that we kept saying, let me let me share my uh, my screen really quickly yeah. so we can we can show off this person. So this is Selma. Oh this yes, is who we we're talking about with White <laughs> yeah. Panther. I just wanted to clarify, like this this is what we're talking about when we say White Panther and like the spelling of it for those who are mm-hmm. able to, to see this out there. Um, Selma is uh, a 
partner, a another DX person at Nellify with Brittany. So we we hang yeah. out with her too. Um, mm. Thank you, Selma, for uh, having the tricky name we can talk about. She yeah. at least does say it out like that. So she'll say White Panther, and she said, or if you use a screen reader, White p4nth3r wow. so she like yeah. she says it out every time she calls her name out that's mm. really cool yeah um yeah and so like this i i don't know like we're, we're already kind of discussing like the like philosophical abstract <laughs> accessibility conundrums but like i think this is a great point to call out is like you know you and i like the the three of us here on this call we are not suited to solve this problem. <laughs> we we are not the people who are impacted by this. That's true. Uh, the people who are, are the people who depend on screen readers. Largely speaking, blind and low vision users, also some people with dyslexia, for instance. Um, but you and I, like, we we defer to their judgment. We hear what they what their take on it is, right? But we don't necessarily need to assume that we need to overcorrect. Yep, that's totally true. Yes. So that, that brings up kind of the bullets I had put out here, because when I think of accessibility or ally or alley, um, what I immediately go to, and Brittany like has to correct me constantly, is color contrast. Um, yeah. So what are, what are some tips and tools that you use to go about like website design um, and dealing with color contrast? How can we build that into our like CICD pipeline? Okay, so you've asked a bunch of questions that are all kind yeah, of disparate. Yeah, I feel like and, and, paused. Yeah, so um, you're you're good. So there's there is a a flow here, right? Um, and actually, this might be a good time to show uh, Brittany if you've got the like uh, link that I I shared. I built yeah. ahead of time, like for because I'm doing a couple of accessibility streams. I built an intentionally inaccessible website. Um, that, so this is well, a very common one that we see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the idea here, right, is this is supposed to look. Um, it looks like a plausible website that you could see in the wild, right? Mm -hmm. um, where clearly there have been some kind of egregious design issues and stuff like that. But this is plausible, right? Or like yeah. you know, you wouldn't see the placeholder eight hundred by eight hundred, but like it's it's a plausible website, right? It's a plausible yeah. recipe website that uses kind of modern design tactics. Um, the idea of building an intentionally inaccessible website for design purposes is nowhere new. It's nothing new, but a lot of the ones I've found seem to have like design that's clearly stuck in the aughts, you know, um, and therefore it doesn't feel applicable to modern day web, you know, and so I, I wanted to have a site that at least felt modern. And so that's what this is. And um, so one instance of um, color contrast uh, failures on this site is actually in that nav bar. It's got that like vibrant uh, red, that kind of crimson color, right? Mm -hmm. And the white text, I know because I built this inaccessibly um, that white text does not stand out enough from uh, the red. Uh, so how could someone have found that? Well, um, for things like color contrast, which are fairly easily surfaceable, with, uh, like automatically detectable, because it's a, a formula. We have like in accessibility spaces, we have a magical formula that tells you given two colors, what's the contrast ratio? And then we have thresholds. The easiest way as a developer to get the color contrast um, issues on your page are with a tool like Axe DevTools. Is there a chance you have Axe installed? I, I thought I did, but I do on Firefox. So let me, okay. or I definitely yeah, do have something for accessibility on Firefox, but I'm in okay. Chrome right now. I this think, is my problem not using Chrome day to day. Yeah. I hey, would you mind on, on Chrome? Maybe we can click 
on the like inspect to show it? Never mind. Which it's right here. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm in there, but I'm not seeing so the it. Little, thought... The top cursor, um, where the you know how to switch to mobile where that is? Very yeah. top left. The one next to that, to the left of it. Yeah. If you click that, yeah. And then just hover over the Oh, you just hover over it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I knew okay. this. So there's this accessibility section, but okay. Yeah. There, there we okay. go. Okay. Okay, so it is giving you this readout. So I would probably prefer to use, personally, I would use something like Access Tools because cool. that does a full page scan and it tells you everything in one view. However, it's going to give you information like this. So let's use this for now and then maybe maybe we come back to Axe. But like, I love something like that because things like checking every combination of text color against background color is tedious, right? Yeah. None of us want to do that. None of us want to do it on repeat, right? Um, and none of us necessarily can... Confirm for sure whether our tiny little CSS tweak is going to be completely safe everywhere this stuff is used, right? We can't mm -hmm. necessarily check it. So having something like an automated scanner, it's really good for surfacing those really tedious things, right? Yeah. Um, uh, especially repetitive issues. So um, yeah, as you can see, it pops out this like, oh, uh, if you hover over the like nav link, yeah, it pops out. It's a little hard to see at the size, but uh, there's a bit where it says contrast. Um, I was trying to get it zoomed in, yeah. but it doesn't zoom in the little popover. That seems like an oversight on the part of yeah. uh, the browser. But um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, so it says contrast. It'll give you a little preview of the text against background. And then it says this 3.98. And there's this little like warning exclamation mark telling you, hey, this isn't great, right? There's there's a, a problem here. C can you mouse into the tooltip? Is that possible? I don't think so. No, no as okay. soon as we, yeah. <laughs> Totally, totally fine. So let's, um, what I would do now is I would open up a, a new tab, you know, presumably run some sort of automated testing tool. This problem has come up, right? Um, let's search for, let's like Google web aim contrast checker. Yeah. I have used this one before. And it's the first so this is, this is 10, this tends to be where I go because web aim is a fantastic resource for anyone looking to learn accessibility. Just like, find a random page at some point and just read it and see what it has to say. Um, and here we would plug in some colors. So I happen to know, and I'm going to pull this up on my end just so that we've got everything. Um, let's see. So I happen to know that the text is in fact white. And the problem is in the uh, nav bar. So let me find where are my, I, I'm trying to get you the, the hex code real quick. That's okay. I think we can actually with this. Oh, it's the header. Yeah. Does it say the hex code in here? It doesn't. I thought it um, did. Okay. So it's actually the, uh, if you scroll up, there should be a header element or um, yes. And that's what has the background. There you go. Yeah, there's the hex code. So you get these two hex codes and uh, you, you plug them in. Um, and oh yeah. Ah, it, I cut it off. E-A-3-C-5-3. Yep. Cool. There we yeah. go. Here we go. We plugged in our colors. And as you can see, we, we're getting some results. And it actually passes some tests and fails some tests. So let's talk about what we're seeing here. First of all, um, up above, there's this contrast ratio. Um, so the colors that we've submitted have been passed through a mathematical formula that has been uh, decided um, by basically a bunch of web accessibility professionals. There's a chance this formula could change in a future version of our web accessibility requirements. However, that still needs to be vetted. Put a like a, a, a pin in that for like, you know, 
years down the line. But mm -hmm. for now, this is the formula we've got. And it's spat out um, this ratio. So this ratio spans from one to one, which is you've compared any color to itself, all the way up to 21 to one, which is the maximum contrast, which can only be obtainable with, anyone want to take a guess at those? Black and white. Black and white, yes. <laughs> so um, it's also like this like exponential curve type thing. So um, once you start getting higher contrast, like you get higher contrast faster, if that makes sense. Um, but uh, so this tells us we've got a ratio of almost four to one. Um, and that passes some thresholds, fails others. So let's let's talk about these thresholds then. Um, yeah. In web accessibility spaces, we have a set of standards, like industry standards and legal standards for web accessibility requirements. And those are the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG. Um, and we can kind of talk about that more. But WCAG has three tiers of uh, conformance. So there's level A, level AA, and level AAA. A is maybe you thought about accessibility once, right? <laughs> like you've done less than the bare minimum, um, basically. Double A is the legal and industry standard. This is what most companies are trying to target. This is if, if you're invested in making sure you don't get sued. Um, this is the standard that the courts are holding uh, mm -hmm. companies to. By and large, double A is your target. Then there's triple A, which is very pie in the sky. Like you've thought of just about everything and you're like super compatible, super interoperable and stuff like that. Uh, it's for some forms of media, not inherently possible. Um, but oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's nice to target AAA when you can, but by and large, you're trying to meet the AA requirements. Yeah. So the lines in here that we care about are wherever it says WCAG AA. And as you can see, there are three standards here. So there's normal text, which is, you know, your average body text. Um, that has to meet a threshold of 4.5 to 1. So as you can see, we're about 4 to 1, right? We're kind of just under the threshold. Um, then there's large text which is, there's a, a definition, and you could scroll down for the full definition, but basically it's like bigger and or bolder. Uh, think mm -hmm. heavy text, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and so that has to meet a required threshold of three to one color contrast, because it's bigger, right? It's easier to see. Yes. Um, and so the, the rules are a little laxer. And similarly, there's this graphical objects and user interface components, like icons or form fields. And those have to also meet three to one. Um, so... Color contrast is curious in that it doesn't tell you how different two colors are. It tells you how discernible one color is on the other. And there's some interesting, interesting um, uh, side effects of that. So uh, if you just Google um, Ben Meyer's color contrast, you'll find an article I've written on this subject because I want to show you my favorite example of this. Post. Uh, uh, Oh yeah, actually they'll take you to my new tag page. Excellent. And click the one page or the one post I've got on this. There you go. And scroll down, it. there's going to be a very vibrant example that you cannot miss. Um, there you go. So this uh, this demo, uh, we see some orange text that reads, you don't want to read this. And it's against a blue background. Um, and I have a small tangent. Is this orange or is this red? It's tomato. This, so... so it's reddish orange. This looks very similar to the spelt color and they call it, a lot of people call it orange and I say it's more red. And so I'm sorry, okay. I had to ask. I had sure. to ask the team. Yeah, it's, so this is literally, these are the CSS colors, tomato and cornflower. Okay, yeah. Um, and 
if you look at the two circles, right, the two colors separate, they look very different, right? I don't know if any of us on this call have color blindness. I don't. For me, these are clearly two separate colors, yes. right? But they only have a color contrast ratio of 1.009 to 1. Wow. Which is barely better than comparing any color to itself. Yeah. And as you can see, uh, like, it's really hard to read that text. Like, we can read it. I've, I've put it up, like, big and bold and stuff like that. We can read it. But, like, it's not pleasant. Right? So this is the distinction between similar colors versus discernible colors. And color contrast is... Uh, accounting for human perception here. And it's specifically like, how easily could you discern this text against this background? Um, so, yeah. Um, so, but it's gray, really gray in uh, CSS. I love it. So let's let's scroll down though, because I, I mentioned the kind of laxer requirements when it comes to large text versus small text. And I've got an example of that. Just keep going. Okay. Um, so we've got two lines of text uh, on this gray background. They're the same color, but this top line is bigger and bolder, and it is easier to read. It says the words, I'm somewhat easier to read. There is a line of text underneath it um, that's easy to miss if you're on, like, an extra, like, bright monitor or something like that, but it says, I'm much harder to read, and it's mm -hmm. smaller and thinner. So, like, the same color, it's very contextual, right? It also depends on kind of your font stuff, right? But this actually kind of clues us into how we could address something like color contrast, because we actually have two ways we could go about it. Y'all want to take a guess at what those two ways are? I don't know which direction you're going. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so we have a we have a, a color contrast pair. By the way, Alex, you're, you are muted, by the way. Uh, but we have a, a, a color contrast pairing on our kind of demo site that fails, right? And we actually have two approaches we could do to get this kind of back in the green. Um, oh, okay. Do you want to, okay, I think you've, you've figured it out now. You want to take a, a stab? To make the text darker or bigger and a heavier font weight. So that's one thing, right? We could we could make the font bigger. We could make it like font size bigger and make it bold and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. that would, because we're actually at four to one, if we have big enough text, we only need to meet three to one, right? Mm -hmm. So like we, we basically cheat by having bigger text with laxer requirements. But that text size, those requirements are very clearly like much more around like headings. So that's not always plausible for every kind of text. You can't make every text big enough to only do the three to one. So yeah. instead, what we could do is we could change the actual colors that are being used. Um, yep. And so at this point, I wanna uh, recommend a site I discovered very recently. I'm gonna put a link to this in kind of our, uh, yeah, in our, our StreamYard. I'll put it in StreamYard, and then I'll also put it in Twitch chat. Oh, nice. Perfect. This is, this is I've, I've used this very recently to address an issue. And what this does is you plug in those hex codes. So uh, the text color is all white. Uh, and yeah. then, yep. They don't have to be in RGB, I assume. We can just get the hex codes. Right. Perfect. There we go. Um, and then notice that it's got this drop down that says color to edit, edit the text color, or you, uh, yeah. So let's choose edit the background color because our text is white, right? Like we're not going to be able to get anything better by like, you know, you can't have more contrast than white, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're instead going to tweak our background color. Let's go ahead and hit find valid colors. And this, this will think for a moment, uh, a moment, but then it's going to give us 
some new background colors that we could use. Like this, oh. this first one. And, and notice, right? These colors are not that different from the one we started with. They're just tweaked enough that, you know, it works. And uh, this, this top one, if we had instead used uh, the hex code EA1636, we would have basically exactly a 4.5 to 1 ratio. So that was just a minor change that actually got us where we need. And, you know, if you're worried about protecting your brand colors, this isn't a radically different red, right? It's just different enough to work. So, um, well, I was going to say, like, on this, we can actually, yeah, can we just play with this? Like, you can kind of mm -hmm. tweak the lightness on the background color. I yeah. saw that. Has that always been there? It's been there, yeah. Um, and so I, I like that as well, too. I like that this gives you like a bunch of different options, though, that it shows yeah. you different ways. When you think, like, you always have to bring this back to the constraints that like organizations have, that businesses have, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if any of y'all know this, but organizations are very protective of their colors. Right? Sure. Their brand <laughs> colors are so important. And I find it's a much easier to, uh, like, much easier sell if you keep the hue the same and just have something lighter and darker than if you start changing the hue. I've right? also so, heard that text on a website is very different from like video content too. So sometimes like colors hmm. will have to be different for the website. The brand color could be one color, but you have to give liberty to people that do like video editing and things to let them change yes. it. And I think that has to do a lot with how video is like encoded and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and the displays that I could be on. Um, unfortunately, I'm not terribly knowledgeable about yeah. video accessibility, yeah. but I would not be terribly surprised. It's the, so, it's the same with print media too. It's, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we, at this point, you know, um, we found a color that works. Presumably, you know, I, I, I like to think about like, what is the systemic way that I could approach this, right? And what we've just done is we've fixed like one color maybe, but presumably we would have something like a design system where now we could replace our red color with this color that we know works with a 4.5 uh, 4 to 1. And, mm -hmm. and that way we start building this in so that like other people can use our design system and use color, like basically pre-vetted color combinations, right? Um, and so th th it gets to this like idea of like, you, ne you need a systemic approach. You need to build this into your systems and your processes in such a way that people can take advantage of the decisions that have been made without knowing why all of those decisions were made and how. So they use this red because it's the company red, not because, oh, I happen to know that this matches exactly 4.5 to 1. Yeah, that's a good point. Just make it easy, make it mm -hmm. accessible to people. Hey, um, are y'all familiar with the metaphor of the pit of success? No. Okay, so this is... Um, I heard about it from Joel Spolsky's, uh, no, not Joel Spolsky's uh, blog, but uh, the Coding Horror blog, which is by, uh, I think, one of the creators of Stack Overflow, but um, is a, basically, it's this idea that um, it should be really easy to do something right, even by accident. And it should be hard, but not necessarily impossible, but hard to do something, quote, wrong or harmful, you know? Mm -hmm. So we want to make it really easy for people working to do on the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Make it easy to do the right thing. Make it hard to do the wrong thing. Because yes. if someone can just, without even knowing, accidentally make an accessible site, great. Yes. Yeah. 
So that's why I I emphasize, like, if you're in a position where you have kind of these systemic foundations, things like design systems and component libraries, like, build that stuff in, right? So that way people can take advantage of your infinite wisdom without having your infinite wisdom. I love that. That's really cool. I'll I put the link for it in there. Yeah. Okay. We, we talked a bunch about color contrast. Now mm -hmm. I want to talk about people who can't see or have difficulty seeing to the point where um, they're using, I put without keyboard. What I meant with <laughs> only navigating your site with a keyboard. Yeah. So first of all, keyboard navigation is not just for people who are blind or low vision. Uh, keyboard nav. I, 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 I hope this doesn't feel like a, like, well, actually like kind of thing, but like, I just want to clarify, like we have, the, the thing about disability, and I'll start here, disability is so diverse. We're talking about such a wide group of people with a wide group, uh, like wide array of needs. And no two people experience their disability in the same way. Um, and also, you know, I've found that if you have one disability, you actually more likely have at least three, right? Disabilities like come kind of in groups and, and, and you know, you, you can't talk, like you can't assume a spherical cow when it comes to, are y'all familiar with that? It's like a physics thing. Um, but like, you can't assume a spherical cow when it comes to disability. You can't assume a theoretically, you know, platonic ideal of what a disabled person or a blind person is because everyone has kind of their own needs. But um, yeah, so uh, keyboard navigation can be used basically by anyone who doesn't find a mouse useful or usable. So that might be someone who can't see because they can't see a cursor floating around some two-dimensional plane in front of them, right? That's not a helpful model. Uh, but it could also be used by people, for instance, who have who don't have like the fine motor abilities to be able to use a mouse. So, for instance, someone with Parkinson's, um, someone with arthritis, right? Yeah. Keyboard navigation could be really, really impactful for them. I call that out because we're about to dive into screen readers. And screen readers use a lot of keyboard navigation stuff and people conflate this and they'll talk about like keyboard navigability as though it's only a screen reader thing. And there are, there are cited keyboard navigator users and there are cited screen reader users because screen readers could be useful for people who are blind, but also people who are low vision or also I've heard of some people with dyslexia who benefit from screen readers oh. um, as like kind of, to, I, I will fully yeah. admit, like, I hate taking my hands off the keyboard to grab a mouse. So I will yeah. often try not to. So it is mm -hmm. frustrating when that doesn't I work. was going to say, when I'm filling out forms, I mm -hmm. often hit tab to tab through a form. Yeah. I, I don't go to my mouse and click it. So one of my favorite people in the accessibility space is Adrian Roselli. And he put it kind of pithily in a tweet that's just wonderful, which is everyone's a keyboard user when you're eating a sandwich with your mouse hand. <laughs> That's so great. It's so good. Um, I yeah, but yeah. Right so it's 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 just it's wonderful. But uh, I yeah. Anyways, I I bring that up just because like again, if you're if you're making this assumption that a keyboard navig uh, a, a keyboard navigator is inherently not seeing your screen, like there's this whole plethora of sighted keyboard and screen reader users that you're gonna miss out on, right? And you're gonna create possibly a worse experience for them. So just throwing in that caveat there. But yeah, so um, keyboard navigability is a great place to start though. Um, the the main keyboard navigation when you're just doing like, like no screen reader, just keyboard um, is going to be tabbing, 
right? And tabbing moves your focus throughout the page. And focus is supposed to go to keyboard interactable elements on your page. So that's going to be your links, buttons, and form fields, broadly speaking. And then you can use an attribute called tab index to make more keyboard focused little things. But the idea is if you can interact with it with your keyboard, you should be able to tab to it. And then there's this other idea of if you can interact with something with a mouse, then you probably need to also be able to interact with it with your keyboard. <laughs> Sorry. What was that? I was going to show over on the site oh, that you built. Oh, to. I... Yeah, okay. So again, this is the site that I intentionally made to be as inaccessible as possible. And so we're going to have a quick problem, uh, which is, have you noticed this problem as you're you're trying this, Brittany? I, I mean, I've noticed that I can't tab through the navigation. No, you are tabbing through the navigation. You just don't see it. Oh, I don't see it. You don't have an outline or a I order. I killed the outline because we've all had designers who are like, that outline is ugly. Let's remove it. But... <laughs> You know, the moment you're tabbing through this page, you're like, where's my outline? You know, um, so we can see it when we get to the button. The button is tabbed right now. So it's active. And then when we tab off of it, it goes black. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so assumably it's here now, but I don't know that it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I this is yeah, I, I've made the site to be intentionally frustrating. If you wanted to find a site that has uh, less frustration, uh, BenMyers.dev might be a good place to stick <laughs> Never the heard of is, it. Like, I, I know the interactions on it and I know that it's, uh, yeah. I love that. Oh, wait, you don't have a main section. I was going to say that you made it intentionally inaccessible, but you still made it semantic. That's oh, why you don't say semantics because it sounds like semantic. Yes. I didn't, I just got <laughs> So good. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm a pun driven developer. Yeah. Oh my and so, gosh. yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, I actually, so this, this demo site, I actually like downloaded a template from html.design oh, and yeah. I adapted it to make it less accessible. Um, <laughs> however, a lot of the original markup is still in there, but I, I removed the focus outline. Um, but yeah, as you're, you're tabbing through, like this is already a pain point. So maybe, maybe let's actually go to like, uh, if you still have, you still have my uh, low contrast uh, article up. Let's go to that one and let's just start tabbing. Um, and so this is going to hopefully start you. Oh, it started you. I see. Yes. Let's start maybe if you could click at the very like top left corner. Like let's start at the very beginning. So instantly a thing has appeared. Have you all heard of skip links? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was trying to use yours earlier. I don't know if this works. Uh, I cheated and focused on the heading, the H1, uh, which is not necessarily what you're supposed to do. It's, it's weird. Anyways. Um, but uh it, it should be, again, working, just the focus isn't actually showing. But oh, I um, see. Okay. anyways, if you keep going, you'll see that like really anything that you can tab to has some sort of like focus presentation. I probably need to do a better job at unifying that. But like, yeah, you can basically always tell with a visible state that something has changed. I love how, yeah. how like bright your outlines are and stuff. That yeah. That you. is usually very small and difficult. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things of like, you know, as an accessibility practitioner and advocate, right? Like I, I do try to go a little more than what's necessarily expected, just mainly also reputation stuff. Right. But like, just <laughs> to feel like it can be done and still look good. Um, Cause I, I, I think the misconception about accessibility is that accessible equals ugly. I didn't really realize that when you tab to the URL that it goes to or whatever it is shows up in the bottom left. Yeah. I did not realize that. So that's me. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, as you can see, like we've got this like visible focus that's going on, but you're, you're tabbing. And the only thing that's getting tapped to are the keyboard interactive bits. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what, that's how focus is supposed to work. Now, when you're using a screen reader, things get a little more complicated because there is focus. There is like tab to focus, but then screen readers also have other browsing modes to like skip through a page. So there's um, what's called the virtual cursor, which goes to any element on the page. So that's how you would be able to read text and images and stuff like that. Um, but then screen readers also have ways to uh, skip between elements of a similar type. So to jump from heading to heading or image to image or table to table or link to link and stuff like that. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and so when, when uh, folks talk about, for instance, like your heading order, right? Um, they're talking about that because it benefits people who navigate the page by uh, heading uh, from heading to heading. So, uh, and that's actually a lot of screen reader, excuse me, screen reader users. WebAIM, uh, like every two years, does a survey of screen reader users, and they ask, like, hey, what's the most common way you're navigating through a page? And heading by heading is easily like the most common way. Um, so that folks, because like the three of us were cited. If we wanted to find content on a page, we would scroll through the page really quickly until we found the heading that we wanted. And we'd go, that probably looks like it's got the information I care about. So we could skim. But screen readers, if you're not using anything like skipping heading to heading, are fundamentally in, like fundamentally inherently linear, right? And so it's a, a like not quite equitable experience without that uh, ability to skip between headings because otherwise folks have to go through all that like front-loaded information to get to the content that the three of us can skim directly to. So heading to heading is really common, but this means that your headings have to make sense. Your headings actually have to describe the structure of the page. Um, so the way I think about this is like, I think back to like high school and college when I had to write essays. And before I could write the essay, I had to turn in like a bulleted list outline of the essay I was about to write because that describes like my sections and subsections and points and stuff like that. Um, headings are those bulleted items in that outline, right? So this H1 that we've got, the H1 on my page is how to fix your low contrast text. Um, and so that describes like the content of the page. You're only really supposed to have one H1 on your page and it should probably be your page title. It should be what this page is about. Um, and then uh, the what if the uh, web got better over six weeks? This is an H2 because that's a sub thought under, you know, fixing your low contrast text. If you scroll down again. Um, For those who uh, write Markdown, that's two hashtags, folks. Start there. Don't start yes. with one. Start with two. <laughs> so get ratioed right here. This is an H2 because this is a sub thought under, you know, fixing your low contrast text. It's, hey, you have to be able to get a ratio. You know, we'll, we'll keep scrolling down um, because I've got a section on here of like, oh, here we go, making use use of the ratios. This is a sub thought under getting the ratios. So this is an H three. So uh, this document outline uh, is like like thinking of things in terms of this like bulleted list outline mm -hmm. is critical for coming up with a heading structure that makes sense for screen reader users who need to hop from heading to heading on your page. It's also, if you use it right, great for things like search engine optimization, helps Google understand your page. So it's like this knock-on benefit that's fantastic. Um, what headings aren't appropriate for is I have some important text, so I want to make it look real big, right? Yeah. That's not what it is. If you do that, like you should probably use like a strong tag or something like that and then improve the size with CSS. But like 
headings fundamentally need to describe the structure of your page. And we know this because we know that screen reader users can hop from heading to heading, and they find that in user surveys, we find that that is a really common, helpful way for users to navigate the page. So again, we're getting this insight from real people. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's really amazing. Um, so I think something that I confuse all the time, um, how does ARIA come into play with a lot of this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So um, I do have another great uh, blog on it called Semantic Selectors. If if we want to bring that up, I can put it in the uh, chat. That, yes, that's, um, I would actually maybe start with, I've got a blog post called What is ARIA? And I'll put a link oh, to that in the chat. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'll put another one I've got in there in the chat. Um, but okay, so we'll start first of all with semantic HTML because your, first of all, your browser is a godsend. And it does so much that you don't know what it's doing, right? You don't need to know. But one of the things it's doing is it is packaging up an alternate version of the DOM in a protocol that is specifically exposed to the operating system level for assistive technologies like screen readers to consume. Um, this alternate version of the DOM is called the accessibility tree. Uh, and it's really cool. Um, you don't need to know a whole lot about it except for that's a thing that happens, is your browser is basically creating like an alternate DOM that is specifically for screen readers and other assistive technologies to consume. We got and, a, we've got a VDOM, we got the DOM, we got an accessibility tree that's kind of yeah. DOM-ish. How well, many other DOMs are there? Well, actually tons. Your browser, your browser is a tree-making machine that's because awesome. what it does is it creates the DOM. It also creates something called the... CSS object model, which is a tree that represents how your styles cascade. And then it combines those and merges those into something called the render tree. And there's also the accessibility tree um, and, and stuff like that. Like your This is what your browser does. Your browser takes a page and creates a crap ton of trees. Um, and then it puts those trees where they need to be to create the experiences it needs. But for it to do that, it needs your help as a developer because your browser is trying to make sense of the page such that it knows enough that it can convey what your page is doing to assistive technologies. And the number one way it does that is by using your markup, your HTML. So because you use a nav element, like the NAV element, hmm. yep. the browser knows, hey, this is a part of the page that users might care about because this is the page navigation and they expose it to assistive technologies as a landmark, as a, a like kind of hotspot that they could skip directly to, much like they could skip from heading to heading. Um, they're told, like screen readers are told, hey, you can skip from like nav to nav if you wanted to go directly to the page navigation. Something so, I was actually trying on your site and the other site was uh, to hit M for main content. Is that like one of the key things that you're supposed to be able to do with keyboard? Um, I think that's if you have a screen reader active. Oh, okay, I see. Um, yeah, uh, screen readers inject a whole lot of hotkeys and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so browsers are turning your semantics, your HTML, into an experience that can be exposed to and consumed by assistive technologies like screen readers. The, the thing is, this is incomplete a lot of times, right? Because websites these days are a little more complicated, perhaps, than a document, right? Uh, this is the whole document versus apps debate. I'm not going to get into that. But suffice it to say, 
the, the, the web is complicated. Websites are complicated. And so uh, there are gaps where especially dynamic content is concerned when you start getting like more application-like behavior. And so ARIA is a set of attributes. There are like 36 ARIA attributes, I think last I checked, um, that specifically what they do is they change how elements are represented in the accessibility tree. They don't add any new functionality to the page. They don't change anything about their behavior on the page. They don't add interactions. They don't do anything except change how an element is represented in the accessibility tree. So you can provide additional information about this thing. Uh, so an example of this might be if you have a button that you're using to like show or hide some content, right? Like an, a, a traditional expand collapse widget. Well, it might be helpful for users to know, A, that's what this button does, and B, what the state of that expand collapse widget is, right? Uh, if you can't see, how do you know, like, is it showing the thing or is it hiding the thing? So there's an ARIA expanded attribute that you could put on that button. You could set it to true or false, depending on whether the content is shown or hidden. And when you change that, if the users like focus on the button as its ARIA expanded changes, because they've just hit the button, then when that ARIA expanded changes, the screen reader will announce like, hey, it's expanded now, or oh, it's collapsed now. So you're, you're recognizing that application-like experiences are complex, but we still need to expose that information to assistive technologies. We still need to expose that state and role and stuff like that. So ARIA is like, uh, the, the metaphor I've heard is like spackle, right? It's like, you, you wouldn't build a, a house with spackle, right? No one should. It would be bad. It wouldn't be secure, right? It, it just would not be a good, strong foundation. Like but it would leak, right? Yes. <laughs> Ask me about leaking sometime, Brittany. <laughs> My house is a mess. Um, but uh, it, it would be bad, right? It, it would be too much. But some well-placed spackle is good. It makes a more robust experience, right? Um, and so that's kind of where ARIA sits, is it curates the accessible experience for a screen reader user or other assistive technology users. And there are tons of assistive technologies out there. We haven't begun to talk about things like voice control or eye tracking or anything like that, right? There's uh, there's just so much out there. But, you know, it starts with your markup. But where there are gaps in your markup, ARIA might be able to allow you to get just a little bit further. Would, would you say in your markup, um, like the semantics side of it, like we talked about nav, are there like very key ones that we should be using that people tend not to, like asides and things like that? What What's that look like for you? So the question of what semantics you should be using depends a lot on what kind of site you're building, right? No one's going to need the full domain, the full yeah. uh, gamut of like 110 or so HTML elements, right? No one needs all of them. What, what you will use depends a lot on what kind of site you've got. If you've got a content site, then sure, like it's going to matter a lot more that you're using things like landmark elements, like the aside element or things like that. Um, but, you know, if you're building a more dynamic, like app-like experience, maybe those are less common. But what you do need to know is like, hey, you should be using the button element if what you want is a clickable entity that performs an action. Because, um, uh, so one of my first articles I ever wrote uh, which I'll put a link to that one as well um, in the Twitch chat, uh, was about uh, this pattern I started seeing in React like courses, React tutorials, where instead of using a button element, um, the instructor was using a div and then attaching a, 
like on click to that. Oh, yeah, and that, that feels gross. But like, so you know, the thing is, it's not always entirely clear why it's gross. Like, what are the things? What are the differences, right? And uh, so, one reason someone might choose to use a clickable div is that it's a blank slate to start from, style-wise. Okay, I see where someone might be coming from there, right? The fact that like they don't have to like undo the button styles, but if you're going to try to like add a click event to a div and then make it look button like there's so many things you're missing out. Like, first of all, that div isn't being exposed to screen readers and other assistive technologies as a button. So you have to add role equals button. It also needs to be keyboard navigable. So you need to add a tab index so that people can tab to it. And then you need to add, you know, key events so that they'd recognize like uh, for buttons, it's enter and space. Um, if you click enter or space, you can trigger the button. So that needs to be added in. Um, that You would have gotten that by default had you used a button element. But, you know, at this point, sunk cost fallacy, right? Surely there can't be anything else. Up until the point you want to add more states, like you disable the button. Well, now you have to kind of reverse engineer that as well. And then, and then someone calls you and goes, listen, coding cat dev, perfect dev, I use your site in high contrast mode, in forced colors mode, and your button doesn't look like a dang button because the browser builds its default styles for like force colors mode and whatnot out of the semantics you've used. And so now you have to go in and you have to add the uh, uh, styles for specifically high contrast mode. All these things, it's like uh, if it's that saying about reinventing the wheel, if every time you reinvented the wheel, you missed like all the spokes. Yeah. <laughs> so semantics to, are. Uh, I have to say, our, our Coding Cat site on high contrast is like the darkest site I've ever seen. It's amazing. <laughs> so it is and it isn't. Because uh, the thing about force colors mode um, or high contrast mode. So, and, and this took me, like, I was a professional, like, web accessibility professional for, like, three years before I started doing anything with high contrast mode. So this is misconceptions that I had. Um, but for those who don't know, high contrast mode there is like for, for Windows in particular, there is an operating system level setting that uh, basically says, uh, let me turn on high contrast mode and or or rather, let me turn on my contrast theme. And in fact, Windows 11 is moving to the Windows like that. Sorry, the, the contrast theme branding. Mm -hmm. um, and in web spaces, we're starting to call it force colors instead of high contrast colors, because all force colors does is it replaces in every application the default colors and gradients and borders and stuff like that with colors that have been specified at the operating system level. Um, so the user could choose colors like I want every link to be yellow or I want every link to be green or something like that, right? They can choose whatever colors works for them. And some people, particularly people with migraines, will choose low contrast themes using this technology that was originally for high contrast themes. Wow. So that's pretty wild. That, I didn't know that's that. why we're starting to hear more phrasing. Oh, yeah, it's more like contrast themes or forced colors instead of high contrast because you can't necessarily guarantee. But when you said your site looks super dark, it's because the theme that's being used or emulated, depending on how you're viewing it, uses a dark background. But someone could just as easily have said, I want actually a white background when I'm in forced colors mode. Hmm. So a little tidbit there. Um, yeah, forced colors mode, cool. super cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, 
I got I got to check our list. Like I've I've gone all over the place for no. So much. That's that's one of the problems of like talking about like accessibility. It's such a big umbrella that like it's like hard to like feel like you're tackling it concretely. Um, <laughs> let's just fun um, to think about. Yeah, it's totally it's super fun. Um, it's also like I think at a business level, which you kind of mentioned, it's super painful and frustrating too because. Um, I wrote this in here, but uh, the the dominoes issue came up where like they got the lawsuit. And that's really, I think, what finally highlighted a lot of this for people um, that lawsuits were actually going to happen. So started to finally like force companies to actually realize this is a thing. Pay attention. Yeah. (laughs) And so So, I just I I wanted to really quickly just read this. Um, It says in the United States, 61 million adults are living with disability. Um, I don't I, I don't know if that's 2017 or not, um, but then it yeah, also depending does... depending on like who you're asking and how they define disability. Um, yeah. There's different numbers for like what percentage of Americans are disabled. If you ask the U.S. Census Bureau um, based on their definition of disability, it's like one in five or one in four, depending on wow. kind of when and whom you ask. So one in five or one in four people has some form of a disability. That's and, yeah. and And you think about like how that can impact people's ability to do critical functions. So I used to work at a bank. And one of the things we were taught is that um, in particular, elders um, are like, as they age and become less able to independently manage their finances, whether because of physical or mental disabilities accrued by aging, um, they, they increasingly have to entrust their finances to their family members, their younger family members. And this puts them at a significant risk of being taken advantage of. Elder fraud and elder abuse is a significant problem for banks that, like, or anyone who deals with finances, right? Um, but if we can build a site that allows people to manage their finances independently, even as they age, this puts them at a place where they have more independence, right? And they're less likely to be taken advantage of. Like this stuff matters and it it matters a lot. And it matters for people because ultimately, like I I think of things of like my job, I'm a front-end developer. My job is not to sling around JavaScript. It's not to do React or TypeScript or Spelt or HTML or CSS. That's not my job. My job is to build and experience an interface that people can use. And that includes disabled people, includes a lot of disabled people. Um, And it's ensuring that they have equitable access to those things. Yeah, Uh, that's that's incredible. How, so I I have this in here. I didn't know if we'd get to it or not, but when you're working on Microsoft's docs, like, yeah, how how much, uh, I don't know, thought's probably the wrong word, but like, is that your first motivator or is it getting like the info out that you need to first and then accessibility afterwards? It's... So docs is a surprisingly large project and there are lots of people who have lots of hands on different pieces of the buckle. So um, I would describe like my role as the part of docs that's like the like kind of visual scaffolding, that kind of stuff. I don't write the content. Um, we have teams that write the content and those are usually mostly like the product teams, right? But um, uh, I build basically the like visual skeleton that the content lives in. Um, and so my role is much more directly around the accessibility. Right. Because, you know, we have to make sure that um, the the like we can't control all of the content authors, but like we like do control the visual interface and we are constantly looking looking into ways of like, how can we make this interaction accessible? Right. 
How do we ensure that like, you know, links work and buttons work and stuff like that? And also, how do we do that in a way that's internationalization friendly? Because Microsoft Docs supports up to 70 different languages. Some wow. of it are right to left, like Arabic or Hebrew, um, right? And stuff like that. So um, how do we ensure not only that this works for our wonderful English speaking friends, but also our French speaking friends, our Arabic speaking friends, right? All that stuff. It, it has to be accessible for them too, right? It so, was like you said earlier too, like setting them up for success and giving yes. them that good foundation yeah, too. Absolutely. Um, and so accessibility is a huge part of it. And Microsoft, in my experience, has been very committed to accessibility. I've been very impressed overall with the kind of processes for that. Uh, we have a lot of the processes that a lot of companies would be familiar with. Like we have a, a team of accessibility testers who perform audits and stuff like that. And we have regularly scheduled audits. Um, this is the thing that like when you're in bigger corporations like Microsoft, you become very familiar with. But um, yeah, so that is, uh, it's hugely important to us. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft's mission is that we're here to empower everyone to do more. Um, and that everyone includes disabled people, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, which are one in four people, apparently. So there yeah, you I know yeah. we are like way over time, too. I did want to ask you, do alt tags, do you describe anything? Do you describe non-important images also? Ooh, interesting. Um, what do you mean by non-important, Brittany? Well, like a visual image that might not add relevancy to the words around it. Okay, so you're describing decorative images. Yes. Is what that is. Okay, so... Alt text is its own can of worms. And again, this is one of those things where I firmly believe like the people you should be listening to on this are the people who are impacted. So namely blind and low vision people who rely on alt text. Like I am synthesizing what I have heard from these people, but please take it with a grain of salt and ask, like, like see what, see what they have to say on this matter. But um, in my opinion, images can have two ways in which they convey meaning. They can convey literal information, facts, direct contents, right? And they can convey the emotion and tone, right? So a playful image might be a decorative act, like asset, right? Mm -hmm. But what it does is it adds to the overall playfulness of the site, oh. right? Um, and so this is, yeah, this is something where like, we're trying to convey two things here. Um, and so when it's hard to come up with a hard and fast rule for like, when do you describe versus when is something decorative? Broadly speaking, if like I have something that looks like an icon next to text, like if I have a printer icon next to the word print, the printer icon is totally decorative, does not add anything. It would only add clutter, right? But like things like I have an illustration of AJ the cat or whatever, that's important because that's your tone. That's your brand. That's who you are, right? People should yeah. know that. Um, and so when I'm writing alt text, the way I think about it is how would I describe this image if I were on the phone with a friend of mine? Like I'm on the phone, I'm having a casual conversation and I want to describe to them this cool image I have in front of them. What would I say about it? And that allows me to think about like what's important? What would they want to know? What is, you know, what is too little? Because if I, if I say, oh, this image, it's of a code snippet. You're instantly like, what code though? Right? Like, yeah. Like that code matters, you know? Is this, are we talking a spelt component? Is this, you know, uh, some like TypeScript or like, what? what is it? Like, what was the actual like lines of code? What is this trying to do? What is it accomplishing? Um, so describing an image as like, as though I were talking to about, like talking about uh, this image to a friend of mine over the phone lets me think like, 
what matters, how much detail do I need to give, what is too much detail. Um, and also, you know, turns out my friend is like, you know, theoretically a real person who lives in the world, right? And therefore has like worldly call, uh, context, worldly knowledge, right? So if I have a picture of President Joe Biden in front of me, right? People know who Joe Biden is, right? I don't need to describe like, oh, this is a white man in a blue suit with white hair, right? I don't need to say that. It's so nice with that description. I love it. Well, like the thing is that wouldn't be a helpful description, yeah. right? Because turns out there are lots of white men with white hair. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But what matters is President Joe Biden, right? Um, but then even then that gets tricky too. Uh, there's there's lots of discussion over like, should you supply like someone's race or gender in alt text? I will absolutely defer to blind people on that. But like all this to say like, or, like you know, we could bring this to like fictional characters, right? Like, uh, like Mickey Mouse or the Queen of England, all fictional, um, you know, like... The we, Queen of England is fictional. <laughs> I, it took so long before, before, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, like describe, like we, these are characters who exist in the world, right? Um, so one of the things I like to do when I'm just like when I post pictures of my cat on Twitter, like folks who have been following me for a while know that I have a cat named Tuna, right? And this cat comes up in a lot of my pictures because he's adorable and he's perfect. Um, but. What I'll do is I'll say like in, in the picture, like it maybe it'll be like, you know, tuna like curled up on the like a, a purple blanket or whatever. I'll say like tuna, comma, a tabby cat, comma, is curled up on a purple blanket. He looks really cozy, right? Like um, I'm conveying the literal stuff. I'm conveying this is like a recurring character that people might know uh, if they know me, right? Like it's not a generic cat. It's my cat, tuna. But like anyone who doesn't know, he's a tabby cat. Right. And then I'm describing what he's doing. I'm describing it with like evocative adjectives, like cozy that like give the tone. Right. This oh, is, nice. you know, adding more detail than just dog. kind of telling a story to someone yeah. without an image. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause I shared the image for a reason. Right. It's yeah. look at my cute cat. That's the, uh, that's the reason. Right. Does, I want people to ever curl up with a can of tuna. Does that ever an uh, image or no? So, no. However, I do want to give a shout out to my friend, um, Adrian Mallet, who did send me um, a like little uh, cat scratcher thing that looks like a giant can of tuna that he can get inside. <laughs> Unfortunately, my tuna is too giant for the giant tuna. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but anyways, like, yes, yeah, so those are things to like think about, right? You're conveying the literal description of what is there, but you're also trying to convey the tone. And if you're looking at this and going, well, okay, but like, this is kind of redundant because like other things, um, like those flourishes are elsewhere on the page, or we have, you know, again, an icon next to some text that like these two things are paired, right? Then you can go, this is decorative. I'm not gonna supply alt text at all. We're gonna set like alt equals the empty string. Alt equals the empty string is different than not providing alt. This is important. If you, yes. if you leave yep. off the attribute altogether, then the screen reader, will attempt to come up with a, a name for the image. And what it's going to use is the file path, like the source mm. attribute, which is yeah. ugly because we know how image paths look, like those static assets. They're never great. Never, never what you want. But instead of you do alt equals the empty string, what you do is you convey to the browser, hey, this image, it's not important. Don't even include it in the accessibility tree whatsoever. As far wow. as screen readers are concerned, this image doesn't exist. So these are two separate things. And I always have to be very careful of like empty alt is distinct from 
not supplying an alt attribute. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's a huge tip. But you Hot would take. only want to do that if you're very confident that like this image, if if I were to supply this image to screen readers, it would only provide clutter. Like you mentioned That's the icon, because if you put alt of print on an icon next to the word or link print, it's going to say print, print, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's just like redundant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, that's yeah those those are, are, are things like and it's it's Great all tip. very contextual but it's yeah. like it's it's good to know right um so a decorative image is like purely like if you were to expose this to screen readers it could only ever be considered clutter right because yeah. it's you know a decorative flourish it's from the like like beginning days of the web when like you know a, a flourish would actually be like you know an image image source equals decorative swoosh um dot png or whatever or dot gif probably yeah um and so it's well, like designed to like cull those from the page I, f I feel like i could talk to ben all day long and yeah. we probably could but Alas. uh we literally have to get to uh perfect dev so i don't get fired so incredible <laughs> perfect yeah. dev here is our you're per on perfect dev but... here's our perfect picks <laughs> from perfect data yes <laughs> So I was on Jen's stream earlier. If you don't know, Jen Janad is a new streamer who uh, is very, very new to like front end development. And she is taking the incredibly brave and excellent step of streaming her like journeys learning tech. Um, I love so, her Twitter handle. Yes. Um, it's so good. Uh, so you absolutely should follow her. I'll put a link to her Twitch in the Twitch chat here. Um uh, but uh, she's been having people come on to uh, talk to her like about just various aspects of tech. I was on her stream literally this morning talking about accessibility, and we took a completely right different angle from this. And so there's just so much accessibility stuff, and you should go follow her. That is um, fantastic. And your next pick? Uh, Dan Jan, uh also kind of new to the streaming world. He's um, he, in the he solid community, Astro. right? He was, yeah. Yeah, he's on the Solid Core team, uh, specifically working on Solid's documentation. He's also joining uh, Astro full time. He was working there as a contractor, but he's joining full time. So he's you know very embedded in kind of the like web frameworks. Um, yes, and um, so I will be on his stream in a few days on Monday, and we are also doing intro to accessibility. And every one of these streams, I'm hoping, feels very different because uh, accessibility really needs to be like you figure out like. It's almost choose your own adventure, right? You pick your thing and you just follow that rabbit hole and you learn more about people and how they experience the web and you make it better for them. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Even if they're all the same, if someone gets something out of it, that's the key. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you should go follow both Jen and Dan. Uh, they are, are wonderful folks. I'm going to go ahead and jump to you, Alex, because I realized I didn't have them open. So I'm going to let you talk about this one. Sure. Um, so this is a, a fun little JavaScript library that provides fireworks for your <gasps> site, um, which I was looking for. Um, I was using a different JS library that I could drop cats and things, which if you go out to my code, Ben, you can see it's it's pretty funny. Um, however, if you go, can you scroll down to the, where the demo is and just click the demo? It's like just above there in the table of contents. Uh, up a little more. Keep <laughs> there going. It is. This one? Yeah, I think you got it. Oh, nice. So that's that's oh, what nice. the fireworks show up as. And I think it's super fun just to add a little uh, fun flair like this. 
My whole house is vibrating. I'm sorry. What's that? My whole house is vibrating. <laughs> Scary. As long as they haven't run into it yet, you're you're good. No. <laughs> <laughs> my second pick if you have it uh here. yeah i copied it i think there we go okay uh next yes uh 12.2 came out um a little bit ago now but if you haven't played around with it uh so i think this is from june right um if you haven't played around with it the middleware changed significantly from when they first released it i think at least um they did make it simpler though uh, i i feel like and everything you can do is in a middleware.ts file instead of like all this crazy nesting and things like that. So definitely check that out. Um, we're probably going to do some more stuff with Tim Benix um, and talk about how to like do some personalization and, and things like that coming up soon. So middleware helps out with that a ton. I'm excited about that. I'm going to have to start working some more with Next.js too. So we'll... yeah. Um, the other piece that I'm really excited about on their side. So we are already doing on-demand ISR, which has been huge for us to uh, not have to rebuild the site. And it just kind of magically works. And we can also do a revalidation. However, the the new one that I'm super excited about, I hope like this can, can come out relatively soon, is the uh, Edge API routes. So I'm pumped to dive into this further. I am a little worried that they are going to have to change this before the... Uh, global availability so we'll see where that comes mm -hmm. but check out next 12 too it's, it's got some cool stuff in it yeah i'm interested in this so all right so mine uh i have two bin streams that i was on and i wanted to showcase them so we have show my dot chat is ben's twitch integration for obs that you can show your chat stream on twitch and i had him on my stream to show me how it works and we did that and had a lot of fun showing it off. And I started my own that I have not finished because I have no time uh, called Bubbles. Brittany's Bubbles. Or something we mm. called it, But it's fun. And then my second one is build a component library with SpeltKit with Brittany Postma, although most of it has probably changed at this point by the time you're listening to it. So that is, you can see right there it is one of the like most viewed streams on the, the channel. Um, oh, I think you're oh, being awesome. Outside. I think you're bringing wow. out by Remix and then Alex Trost coming on to talk about Prismic and Next. Oh, but my goodness. Like basically, like, yeah, you're like the third. I don't have it liked group. either. There. It's liked. <laughs> <laughs> but I firmly I believe that with the support of, I think oh, this is still my that. show um, now. I think I, I still have the hostile yes. takeover. Um, <laughs> oh, I think yeah. with the support of the Coding Cat and Perfect Dev um, audience, I think we can make that, you know, the most viewed stream on the Semantic yes, YouTube channel. That would be fantastic. Go <laughs> click that like button, folks. Absolutely. <laughs> Drop that link in. Where is it at? You know, like, like, follow, subscribe, hit that bell. I lost um, my Twitch stream, so I can't. <laughs> I, oh, no. can't I can do it on the Coding Cat one. It's all good. There we go. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. This was so was fun and informative. Yeah, yeah, this was awesome. I think we, we're gonna um, have to have you back for a part two. Like, there's just right. so much to cover still. Yeah, yeah, this is only scratched the surface, and I'd love to, you know, at some point maybe maybe do some more like tangible, like let's go in, let's actually like test with assistive technology. So I think that'd be tons of fun and hugely valuable. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, let's schedule that. Cool. Right. Um, I'm I'm not gonna forget this week because I've forgotten every other week. We're gonna raid somebody today. Oh, we're gonna raid. Ooh. Who are so we raiding? We have B. Holmes, we've got Cassidue, 
Um, uh, Cassie has like zero people watching, which is weird. Maybe she maybe must have just started because that is not accurate. I, but I B Holmes Dev is great. He's on the Astro team also with Jitanium now. Apparently, that is incredible. That man, he's all the going people to going to Astro. Astro is an amazing product, but yeah. Um, I did hang out with Cassie this past week. B Holmes weekend. could use maybe the crowd. Cassidy has like eighty. You got a good point. Okay, we're doing home. Yeah. There we go. Have fun. Peace. We ride. Later. We'll see you, we'll see you soon. Uh, I'm going to play our outro and see if that still works. I, I don't know how this whole raid thing is going to work. So, see ya. It's